If you remember in Matthew chapter 4, where we left off last time, we've been dealing with the kingdom of God and how Jesus began his ministry. We see in verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you remember, King Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven, but it's the kingdom of God. And we spent a lot of time last time we were together dealing with what the kingdom of God is. There's one last aspect of it that I want to deal with tonight. And that is the kingdom of God is clearly portrayed in the Old Testament as being a literal kingdom on the earth. And because God cannot lie, the king and the kingdom are still to come. And that's what we're going to do tonight. I'm, we're going to deal with some more, that, more afterwards. We'll hopefully get into verse 18 and move on. But what I'm going to do tonight is hammer home this truth because of all the aspects of the kingdom of God, which I gave you in that definition that we handed out a couple weeks ago, of all the aspects of the kingdom of God, this one is the most controversial, unfortunately, amongst Christians. There is a large segment of Christianity that doesn't believe that there's going to be an actual coming kingdom of God on the earth where Jesus actually rules and reigns on the earth for a thousand years from Jerusalem over the whole world. There are many, many Christians that don't believe that. They think that the, the, they're what theologians call amillennial in their belief. They believe that the millennial kingdom is more spiritual. It's not actually a literal kingdom. What I want to do tonight is show you from Scripture so that you'll know what the Scripture says and what the Scripture teaches. And then if anybody actually ever talks to you about such a thing, uh, you can be ready. It was interesting. I was sitting at a, a Jason's Deli a little bit ago, sitting down talking with this friend of mine, and we were discussing the Scriptures, which I love to do. And this guy walked up and uh, he said, I heard you talk about the kingdom of God. I love the kingdom of God stuff. I said, me too. We're sitting here talking about the... Uh, the coming millennial kingdom on the earth. And he goes, oh no, I'm amillennial. And I go, well, that's not how we're looking at it. The scripture talks that it actually is a literal kingdom on the earth. He goes, oh, I would love to argue with you about that. I'd win. I said, I said the fact that you want to argue about it is already proof that I don't want to spend time because it's not an issue to argue about. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel but must gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them to an understanding of the truth. The fact that he wanted to argue with me. Folks, be careful. As you believe what you believe, don't try to win an argument. You can't teach someone something or have them grasp truth in the flesh with your ability to have a better argument. What I want to do is give you scriptures not for your argument so that you'll know what the scripture says and you won't be easily led astray by false teaching. All right? So again, the kingdom of God is clearly portrayed in the Old Testament as also being a literal kingdom on the earth. We already dealt with the other aspects of it in our last study. So if you haven't gone to that, go back and look at last study and you can be caught up to where we are. But it's portrayed as also being a literal kingdom on the earth. And because God cannot not lie, the king and the kingdom are still to come on the earth. Are you ready? Because here we go. We're going to hit a lot of scriptures, both old and new. Go to Psalm 37. Look at verses 1 through 34. Psalm 37. Again, as you've heard me say, and I'll repeat it over and over, the Psalms are full of prophecy. Full of prophecy. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell where? In the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him he will, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who pr pr prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall what? Inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall, there it is again, inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draws the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. 
Better is the little that, it, that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the day of, blameless, of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. Don't miss that. They are not put, put, to put to shame. Sorry, they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. They, like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord, there it is again, shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've seen, David says, I've seen the young. Uh, and now I'm old. I've been young and now I'm old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for righteous, for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Very clear prophecy here about we're not to worry about the evildoers. There's a day coming when all the wicked will be removed from the earth, but the righteous will what? Inherit the land. Folks, it's very, very clear. Oh, that's just one passage. Go to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. We're going to let the scriptures speak tonight and let the, the foundation be laid for us to then go into the New Testament because a lot of people that don't believe in a literal coming of a, new, of a kingdom on the earth with Jesus ruling and reigning say that the New Testament doesn't ever talk about the millennial kingdom and it really doesn't talk about the kingdom of God on the earth. And as we lay the foundation in the Old Testament, I'm going to show you that the New Testament does actually quite a bit. Isaiah 62, look at verses. If I said 66, I meant 62. Go to Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 12. I'm glad you're listening because I wasn't listening to what I said. Isaiah 62, look at verses 1 through 12. For Zion's sake, by the way, does anybody know where Zion is? It's in Israel and Jerusalem. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations, nations shall see your righteousness. This is Israel and all the kings, your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more, Israel, be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen, and all the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You, were who, you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes where? Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Is that the case right now? Is Jerusalem a praise in the earth? Not even close, but it's coming. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. Again, this prophecy was to who? Not the Jews. The prophecy is to who? To Jerusalem, to the land. The prophecy is to Zion and Jerusalem. It's not to the people, although they're included in this. It's to the land. 
Over and over, you'll no longer be called desolate. Your land shall be no longer termed desolate. Your land will be married. Your land shall be married. God has made a promise to the land that he is going to when he comes back. That's why he's saying, make way, get ready. When the Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation period, you all have heard me teach on this plenty of times before. Let me remind you, there's the rapture of the church. Then there's the seven-year tribulation period, the last part of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, which is God's going to be purifying Israel and judging the nations. And the Jews that survive that time period is they're going to go through some horrible, horrible stuff as well as the rest of the world with all the stuff happening with the sun turning dark and the moon falling, I'm going dark and the stars falling from the sky and the earthquakes and the blood and the fire and the brimstone, all that stuff, excuse me, stuff that's coming on the world. At the end of that, Jesus comes back and we see him set up the millennial kingdom. The earth is renewed and the Jews who survive are going to be righteous in the land of Israel and the surviving of the Gentiles are going to be considered. We'll get to that when we get to Matthew 25 and the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's not talking about whether or not you get into heaven. The parable of the sheep and the goats, you've done it to these brothers of mine. You don't get into heaven because you gave someone water or because you visited somebody in prison. But that's how he determines who enters the millennial kingdom. And when Jesus comes and sets up the actual kingdom which is to come, the land will no longer be forsaken. The land is going to be affected. Again, those who are righteous will inherit what? The land. Well, will the land actually be called that then? Would the land actually be called what? A city not forsaken. Well, that's one of the many names it's going to have, actually. It's going to have many names, but Jerusalem is it's still going to be called Jerusalem. Beulah, that's actually what that word comes from. That song, gospel song, Beulah Land, that's one of the many names. Beulah, yep. All right, go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30, look at verses 1 through 11. Now remember, as we look at these prophecies, they're also laying a foundation for what's to come in the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament if you don't know the Old Testament. All right? Go to Jeremiah chapter 30, look at verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. Don't miss that. That's going to be quoted later on in the New Testament. There's a day, day coming when God is going to restore the fortunes of Israel, all right, and Judah. And I will bring them back where? To the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Then why do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. Don't miss this for a second, folks. As we see, he describes that time that's going to come on Israel so, so severe that people are going to be in anguish and guys are going to be in such anguish they're going to be holding their stomachs like they're a woman in labor. And there's other prophecies I could take you to that use that same euphemism. But don't miss this. Jesus in Matthew 24, when he's asked about the sign of his return and his second coming, he says, but when he talks about the Antichrist and the wars and the rumors of wars, you know, the white horse and the red horse and the opening of the seals of the book of Revelation, he said these are just the beginning of, listen, the birth pains. When Jesus said these are the beginning of the birth pains, he was referring to a set or a time of birth pains already prophesied in the Old Testament. We don't have time to take you through that because that's not my purpose for tonight. But the scripture teaches very clearly many, I could show you three places where the Old Testament describes the time of the tribulation period still coming for Israel and the rest of the world at the same time as the birth pains. People say, oh, they're having all these earthquakes and all these wars and rumors of wars. That's the beginning of the birth pains. Nope. No, Jesus was referring to when the Antichrist comes and makes his covenant. That's the white horse. And there's going to be wars and there's going to be so many people on the earth are going to be killed. And there's going to be famines and earthquakes and all these things. And Jesus said, that's just the beginning of the birth pains referenced right here. The time of Jacob's trouble, time of distress for Jacob. But look again at the end of verse 7. Yet Jacob, that's Israel, shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. That's the Antichrist yoke. And I will burst your bonds. And foreigners shall no longer make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. We'll get to that later on. 
Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, from your offspring and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So he's going to gather them and bring them back where? To the land. All right. Go, jump down to verse 18. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Because your guilt is great. Because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured. And all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. And all who prey on you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore, there it is again, the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, and have compassion on his dwellings. And the city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the place shall stand where it used to be, that sound familiar? All of those must have been studying all the stuff we've been looking at. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will make them honored and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old and their congregation shall be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them and their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Folks, we're getting real close to when this time is about to come. And God's going to do a work in the land of Israel and with the people of Israel, and with the world as well. But go over to chapter 31, and look at verses 1 through 14. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace where? Oh, by the way, when are they going to find grace in the wilderness? At the end of what? At the end of the tribulation period, remember at the midpoint of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to step into the wing of the temple, declare himself to be God. He's going to go after the Jews. Two-thirds are going to be killed. One-third is going to run out into the wilderness. Remember that we see that in the book of Revelation chapter 12. We see that, and that's when those who are surviving at the end of the tribulation period, the Jews are going to look on him whom they pierced. When he comes back, they're going to mourn. They're going to be saved. All Israel that is alive at that time will be saved and will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to find grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar away. I have loved you, God says, with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. I love the fact that he's been calling her an adulteress and a whore all the way through because of her sins, the nation. But now after he forgives her, what does he call Israel? A virgin. He sees her as totally forgiven. Isn't that awesome how God sees us? We are clean because of Jesus. He's already seen us as pure. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. And you shall plant vineyards on the mountain of, mountains of Samaria. And the planters shall plant and enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. They're going to actually say, let's go up to Jerusalem and see God. That's kind of cool. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with the gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together. A great company, they shall return where? Ooh, pretty clear, isn't it? They're going to return here to Israel. By the way, real quick. Is that being fulfilled now that Israel's become a nation again back in, since 1948 and they're all being gathered everywhere? No. A lot of people, a lot of, no, keep, listen closely, a lot of people think, oh, that's the fulfillment of the prophecy. He's bringing them all back into the land and everything. No, no, no. What's happening now and what's happened since 1948 
has been God fulfilling the prophecy that the, land, the Israelites would be in the land of Israel when all these last things happened. They had to be back in the land for the Antichrist to chase them out of the land. Do you understand what I'm saying? The prophecy said that the, 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 things were, the whole world's going to be fighting against Jerusalem. They're all going to be going after Jerusalem, going after the Jews. Well, why would they go after Jerusalem if the Jews weren't back in the land? And they weren't in the land for a long, long time. But God has been regathering Israel in part. You guys know any Jews that are not in Israel? Quite a few. Go to New York. Go to Fort Lauderdale. There's a lot of them. But the Bible says in the end, they're all going to, the ones that are survived, they're going to be all brought back. This prophecy of him gathering and bring them back to the land is after, at the end of the tribulation, when they all believe in the Lord at that time. Yes, God's done an amazing thing in the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's been an awesome thing that they've come from parts of the globe to come back into their land. But that had to happen so that the prophecies about them being chased out of the land could happen. Do you understand? So I feel people saying, oh, the prophecies are being fulfilled. He's regathering them. No. That regathering. There are multi when it comes to prophecy, <coughs> there are multiple. Um, I know you're saying there, there, there are multiple regatherings. Yes and no. Because when you look at the ones I'm talking about, they're the ones that tied to the fact that when they come back, they all believe. And right now, they don't. They don't all believe. The prophecies that I'm talking about are the ones where he says at the end, he's going to regather them and they're all going to believe. And that from that time forward, no one will bother them. No one will touch their stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not being fulfilled yet. Israel's back in the land, praise God. But they're about to go through some real hard stuff, according to the prophecies, before what we're looking at here is fulfilled. But the prophecy says it has to happen because they're going to return to the land. Look at verse 9. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water and straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am father, a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. Oh, look at verse 12. Where are they going to come? They're going to come and sing aloud where? on the hut of Zion, and he's going to go on, and you could go on. Jump down, though, to verse 23. In verse 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I restore their fortunes. Don't miss that. That's going to be important later on. The Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. The Lord bless who? People or a land? The land. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together, and the farmers and those who wander with their flocks. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. At this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. Behold, the days were, are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to overthrow and to destroy and to bring harm... So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity, and each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now you say, wait a minute, Jim, that's been fulfilled for us. No, remember all the promises for Israel are ours now in Christ. Us Gentiles, he's saving the church during the church age. But after those days means at the end of the church age, when he goes back to finish what he promised he would do with Israel, they're going to get what we already have. He's going to erase our sin, put his spirit within us. Well, I jump ahead, keep reading. He says, after those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Is he talking about the church there? Can't be because the Bible's real clear that church has teachers. 
I have a role as a preacher and a teacher in the church. And part, my body, part of, in the body of Christ is to teach you and to, and, and to equip you to know Jesus and to know his word. But on that day, there won't be a need for a teacher because the Jews, every one of them will know the Lord. Every one of them. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verses 25, that all Israel is going to be saved. That's the Jews that survive the tribulation period. All right. Jump down to verse 38. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and then shall turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall be not, now not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's God's going to have a kingdom when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period. Israel's going to go through a horrible time, but they're going to be saved out of it. God's going to judge all the nations that treated Israel badly. And when he comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth, it's going to be in the land of Jerusalem. And guess what? They're going to actually rebuild it on that hill that right now they're not even allowed to pray on. It's all going to be redone. And at that point, no nations will bother them anymore. Now, if you paid attention to some of the things prophesied in the Old Testament, you'll notice that the New Testament, too, shows us that the kingdom of God will be on the earth and centered in Jerusalem. By the way, I could have taken the rest of tonight and next week showing you Old Testament prophecies about this, but I think you get the point. If you don't, we'll start over. Yes, sir. I'm this up, but the fact of birth pains, uh, wars, rumors of wars, and things that take place, are you saying that... I'm confused because 99.9% of all teaching I've received on this over the last I used to teach it that way as well. Who, who's experiencing birth pains right now? No one? These are not... These. What we're going through now aren't the birth pains. Well, what about the wars and rumors? Wars? That's going to happen during the tribulation period. But there are... Oh, yeah, that, that's all going on now as well. But is, is that the full... And like, like Sheila just said, uh, they've also... Uh, Israel's partially regathered, but is that the fulfillment of the prophecy? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are there wars and rumors of wars going on? Sure. Are there earthquakes increasing in the land? Sure. Is that the fulfillment of the birth pains? Do you understand what I'm saying? The birth pains are the ones that Jesus was referring to, which had been prophesied in the Old Testament, which were for Israel at the tribulation period. That's why he said... These will occur after the rapture. Oh, big time. It's going to... What's going to happen... With the earthquakes and the wars and the rumors of wars, if you read the book of Revelation and the opening of the seals and all that, it's going to make what's happening now look like a picnic. The birth pains. Jesus said this is the beginning of, not birth pains. He said the, it's very clear in the Greek, the birth pains. So when he said the birth pains, he's referring to specific birth pains already referenced, which we read about one of the places. So, are there wars and rumors of wars going on? Of course, that's been going on all along, all throughout all of history. Are there earthquakes happening? Yes. Yeah, but they're increasing. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, we also have a little bit better able to technologically measure them than we did before, too. We get sensors all over the globe now that's recording them. And I'm not saying they're not increasing. I'm just saying I don't believe these, these are the birth pains. Do you understand? That's all right. Sorry about that. I'm really good at taking gas out of people's balloons. That's all right. Like I say, I used to teach it that way as well. I used to, but the more I've studied the scriptures, the more I came to realize that's not what this is talking about. All right. Go to Acts chapter 1. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. When you start seeing these things, Acts chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 3. And then we're going to jump down to verses 6 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Luke, by the way, is the writer of the book of Acts, and his first book was the book of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? All right, so between the time when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and the time that he ascended, during those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, where the angel said, the same Jesus you saw going in this manner will come back. In those 40 days, he taught about the kingdom of God. Listen closely. 
If what the church teaches today is that the kingdom of God is a spiritual thing and not a literal king, kingdom on the earth, and Jesus taught for 40 days on the kingdom of God, the Jews would have never asked the question they asked in verse 6. So then when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Does that sound familiar? There's that word again, restore. All the things the Bible said in the Old Testament, God's going to restore the fortunes of Jacob, restore the land, restore Israel, restore their prominence. They said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. After Jesus talked about, no, let's talk about his second coming. When, after Jesus taught for 40 days on the kingdom of God, he must have been talk, talking about an actual literal kingdom on the earth because the Jews said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He taught for 40 days on the kingdom of God. It must be a literal kingdom. He says, not for you to know when that's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm sorry? I believe when he returns, he's going to appear in Basra, according to the prophecies. He's, that's where the Jews are going to be hiding during the end of the tribulation period. I think he's going to show up at Basra where the Jews are hiding and being protected. Yes. But this is his second coming. Now, Go to Acts chapter 3. Look at verses 17 through 21. Keep in mind, this is Peter preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Peter's preaching. Again, the Holy Spirit's just taking over him right now. So what's coming out of his mouth, and actually all scriptures this way, is just straight words of God. And now, brothers, I, I know that you acted in ignorance, as all, did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for what? Restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Do you remember how many times I kept pointing out, restore the fortunes, restore the land, restore? Jesus is in heaven until the time for restoring all the things that he had prophesied in the Old Testament. Well, when's that going to be, Jim? It's not for us to know when. We're to be just ready, because I believe the Bible teaches he's going to take his church out, finish what he started with Israel, and at the end of it, all the prophecies of what will be restored to Israel will be restored, and the kingdom is going to be on the earth. Go to Romans chapter 11. Passage I referenced earlier, but I want you to see it. Go to Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 29. Paul says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. By the way, did we read about any of those prophecies? Remember back in Jeremiah 31? In that day, he's going to come and he's going to restore Israel in Judah. And he's going to erase their sin, wash them clean, put a spirit within them. No one's going to need a teacher. They're all going to know the Lord. Where's the deliverer coming from? No, he's not coming from heaven, according to this prophecy. He's coming from Zion. He's actually coming back from heaven. He's going to appear at Basra where the Jews are. And if you know from our study in Revelation, he's going to then defeat all his enemies in the battle of Armageddon all the way to Jerusalem. And he's going to begin to set this all up in Jerusalem. Oh, look closely. As regards, verse 28, the gospel, their enemies for your sake, the Jews, but as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Don't miss that. That's going to be important for where we go next. God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. Why does Israel still exist? Is it because they're a better nation than any other nation? No, they've actually been more wicked than everybody else. You know why they've been more wicked? Because they've received more light. 
Remember, we've talked about that already, that God judges us in accordance with how much he's revealed to us. And the Jews have, from their beginning as a nation, had the laws and the covenants and God himself leading them by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and the Red Sea experiences and all these different things. They've had more revealed to them than any other nation. Their wickedness is the worst. Then why do they still exist? Oh, because God keeps his promises. In Malachi, God says to the nation of Israel, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not destroyed. He made a promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he would make them a mighty nation and they would dwell in the land forever and he will never break his promise. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Go to Matthew 23, look at verses 37 through 39. Jesus again speaking to a people or a city? City. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, some will say, Jim, he's just referring to the triumphal entry. Because that's when they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you read your Bibles, the triumphal entry had already happened when he said this. They had already said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they rejected him. When he says this, he's talking about his second coming. And where is he going to appear? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You're not going to see me again. Until my second coming is what he's saying. Go to Acts chapter 7. Look at verses 1 through 5. Acts chapter 7 verses 1 through 5. Paul's preaching now. I mean, not Paul. Philip is preaching now. They're about to stone him. Right before he dies, he said this in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 1. If I turn over one more page, I'll be with you. Sorry, not Philip, Stephen. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length. But he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. I wish I could take the time to show you and take you back to Genesis in chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 17 and chapter I think it's 18 as well. And I could just go on to chapter 28 as well. I could show you where the scripture clearly says where God makes a promise to Abraham, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Then he tells Isaac, I'm going to give you the same promise I gave your father. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Then he says the same thing to Jacob. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Did Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob ever receive the land? Never did. The scripture even says so. He never even received a foot's length of it. He was told he was going to receive it as an inheritance, but he never got it. Folks, if there is no literal kingdom on the earth in the land of Israel, centered in the land of Israel, then God broke his promise to Abraham to give it to him as an inheritance. But his gifts and his call are irrevocable. Don't be ignorant of this, folks. The church hasn't replaced Israel. Yes, the promises that the Jews were given are ours now. And God's grace, he's, we haven't even sought for him. and He's just been seeking us out. He's been giving us righteousness by faith. And all the things promised for Israel after those days where he's going to erase their sin, wash them clean, put his spirit within them, cause them to obey his commands. All those things that Israel's going to get are ours now. And we don't even really enjoy the benefits of what God's already given us. But it's not about us. That's why in Romans chapter 11, he keeps saying, is God done with Israel? By no means. Is he, have they fallen forever? Of course not. And then he goes on and says to the Gentiles, don't think you're better than them. 
And oh, aren't we, haven't we become proud because we say the church is the new Israel and we've replaced Israel and it's about the church and the kingdom is just the church and it's a spiritual kingdom and we're just going to go be with the Lord. And there's not much teaching about the fact that the Bible is full of prophecy about a kingdom on the earth and a time period when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be in the land that they have been had promised to them as an inheritance and I get ahead of myself. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Go to verses 8 through 10. By faith, <clears throat> excuse me, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, what I just told you about. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, a lot of people think that's heaven. No. Who's going to come back and restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Israel? Who's going to come back and restore and rebuild the walls from here to here to here to here? Jesus, he's the one that's going to do it. He can just say the word and it exists and he's going to rebuild it. And there's a time coming when he's going to rebuild Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, if you were in our Ezekiel study, you'll know at the end of the study, we already see in the book of Ezekiel the prophecy that showed where it's all going to be and where each tribe is going to be and the dimensions of the new temple and the dimensions of all the things. And it's totally different from when he had them in the land the first time. It's all still to come. And did Abraham receive what was promised? Not yet. Not yet, but he will. He has to, or God lied, and God can't lie. Go to Luke chapter 1. By the way, all this stuff has been right there in the Scriptures. We've just never seen it. Look at Luke chapter 1 and something the angel says to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and of his, of his house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Let me ask you a question. Whose throne is Jesus going to get? She's, he's going to sit on David's throne. Okay. Was David's throne on earth or was David's throne in heaven? <laughs> David's throne was on earth. And if he's going to sit on David's throne, ruling over Jerusalem, it's got to be on earth. David never had a throne in heaven. David's throne was on the earth. He's going to come and rule and reign on David's throne in Jerusalem. It's going to happen, folks. By the way, the world hates this. You even talk about this and act like you believe it. They'll want to kill you, too, as we get closer and closer to the end, because the hatred for Israel is going to get so severe. Again, I could show you hours and hours of Old Testament prophecy. This Bible says that God's going to make Jerusalem a stumbling block, going to make a cup of staggering to all the nations. Even, sadly, people in the church today are attacking other Christians because they're foolish enough to think that there's a millennial and literal kingdom on the earth. But the Bible said so. Go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verses 23 through 28. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Well, I love Peter. He said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. <laughs> in other words, he said it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. Hey, Jesus, don't know if you noticed anything. We're dirt poor because we gave everything up to follow you. What will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. By the way, whose throne is it again? David's throne. Where is that throne? On the earth. Where? In Jerusalem. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What's the point of that if it's in heaven? 
oh, there's going to be Jews that survive the tribulation period, and they're all going to know the Lord. But those Jews who are humans that survive the tribulation period are going to live in the millennial kingdom, and they're going to make babies. And those babies are going to have still that sin nature because humans passed it on to them, and they're going to have to make a decision themselves as to whether or not they're going to believe. I didn't point it out to you, but did you all notice that one of the prophecies back I read to you earlier in, in Jeremiah talked about when someone sins in the millennial kingdom, they'll be judged? There's actually going to be death in the millennial kingdom. Now, the Bible says it's going to be totally different than it is now. If a baby dies at 100, they'll cons be considered an infant or someone who's cursed. I mean, we thought Chris was old at 75. That's nothing. That's nothing. But there's still going to be sin because humans will be populating the earth. We're going to come back and rule and reign with him, but we're going to have our resurrected bodies, our new bodies, and we're going to not be tempted with sin, and that's not going to be an issue for us, but we're going to rule and reign with him all over the globe, over the Gentile parts of the, of the world. But the 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones in Israel judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's not heaven. That's the millennial kingdom. Oh, but listen closely. Truly I say in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother for the, or children's or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But then he goes off and says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I could go on and tell you how Jesus talks that in the kingdom, people are going to come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit at the table in the kingdom with who? Oh, well, it doesn't say Jesus. It says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does he point out that they're going to come and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? If it's a heavenly thing, he would say, you're going to come and sit with me and be with me. But no, he says the people are going to come and they're going to sit in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Folks, there isn't a word here by accident. And God's word is all along said, and even Stephen pointed it out, Abraham never received what he was promised to be, have an inheritance. He didn't even get a foot's breath. When his wife Sarah died, he had to buy a piece of property in order to bury her. He didn't ever own the land, but neither did his son Isaac or his son, grandson Jacob. Oh, but they were looking forward to the one that Jesus is going to build. So he didn't care about whether he got it in that life. He was looking forward to the new world. When Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on the throne in Israel, in God's timing, and he's going to rule and reign on David's throne. The apostles are going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone that's going to come is going to be able to eat at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because that's when they're going to receive their promise fulfilled. That's pretty cool. Jump with me back to Hebrews chapter 11. And then I'll try my best to uh, wrap this up. But I might not. Hebrews chapter 11. You hopefully know that Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. Men and women of faith throughout the history of the Bible. We're not going to read about their names. We're going to jump to verse 39. All these though commended through their faith, didn't was receive what was promised. Wait a minute. Jump back to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Isn't that interesting? Keep reading. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But that it is they desire a better country, uh, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Now people read that and they say, well that's a heavenly city. And that's what they're looking forward to. No, as you know from the whole of Scripture now, we realize that that actually heavenly one is going to be the one Jesus rebuilds on the earth. Back to verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What he's saying is this. All these Old Testament people that were promised the land and all these things in the restoring, and then for a season they were all cut off or hardened because of their disobedience, and we Gentiles have been grafted in by God's grace. This is all part of God's plan from the beginning. We've already looked at that, how He had always planned for the Gentiles to be included. 
we're going to come back and be with him on the earth. And all those who are waiting for the promises are going to wait until that day when Jesus sets it all up. And we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. We're going to be living on the earth. The Jews are going to be on the earth. It's going to be on the earth for a thousand years. But until then, where is the kingdom? If the kingdom is still to come, and that's Jesus did teach us to pray, your kingdom come, your, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Oh. Well, where's the kingdom? Well, the Bible says the kingdom is right now being extended on the earth through us. Not just within us, but through us. Go to Revelation chapter 1. The kingdom has always existed. You remember from our study? God's always been King of kings and Lord of lords. The kingdom has always existed. The kingdom was portrayed in Israel, prophesied to Israel, promised to Israel, and also to the Gentiles. The kingdom is now being extended. It was offered to Israel. They rejected it, and now it's being extended in the life of the church. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who, uh, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us, what? A kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. He's coming back to the earth. Jesus is coming back. Until then, the kingdom is being extended through the life of the church. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Look at verses 6 through 10. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall what? Hang on for a second. When in the timeline that we know that God has laid out for us in the scriptures, is this happening when Jesus takes the scroll and begins to open the seals? That's the beginning of Tribulation period, remember? The signs of this coming and the end of the age. There's going to be the white horse. That's the Antichrist. Jesus said you're going to see Antichrist. Don't fall for that. There's the red horse as he opens the next seal and wars and people are going to be killing each other. Then he opens the next seal and we see just what Jesus said in Matthew 24 in the prophecies. And he talks about the Antichrist and the wars and the rumors of war, the famines, the plagues. Death. And then he goes and says, oh, by the way, at the midpoint, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and we know the scripture is clear that the Antichrist, who comes on that white horse pretending to be Jesus, who's going to make the whole world think everything's okay, make a peace treaty, if you will, with Israel, he's going to step into the temple, which will exist at that time, declare himself to be God, and go after the Jews like they had never been gone after in the history of the world. But when Jesus takes the scroll and begins to open the seals, the elders which I've showed you before is the church. Four living creatures fall down and they begin to sing a new song. And they say, you're worthy to take the scroll. As you've done this, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, and every language and people, and you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Still future at that time. You see it? He's not saying that they have been reigning on the earth. They shall reign on the earth. At that point, when the tribulation begins, where our ruling and reigning on the earth is still future. 
It's been there all along, folks. It's been there all along. In the five minutes that I have left, I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 20. I want you to see that the Old Testament saints who died in the Old Testament, if you will, and the tribulation saints, those who believe in Jesus during the tribulation period, are going to rule and reign on the earth as well with us. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon. Who's that, by the way? We know that. The scripture tells us it's Satan. That ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, by the way, in case you were curious, it makes very clear, and bound him for how long? For a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. By the way, is, that, is he bound right now? Is he not deceiving the nations? Of course not. That's still to come. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast. These are the tribulation saints or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the re first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. All right. So. Old Testament saints are going to rule and reign with Jesus. Tribulation saints are going to rule and reign with Jesus. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus during the thousand years that Satan is going to be bound in that pit. That's that time where Jesus is going to come back to the earth, set everything up. Look at verse 7, though. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of where? The earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't miss this. During the thousand years, during that time period, we call the millennial kingdom, where Jesus is on the earth ruling and reigning, we are going to rule and reign with him on the earth, according to Revelation chapter 5. The Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints are going to also be resurrected, and they're going to rule and reign. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there. They're going to rule and reign with Jesus on the earth during the thousand years. Satan, during that time period, will be in the pit. And, but, but there's still sin. How come? Because, remember, humans survive the tribulation period, and those humans make babies, and sin's still in them, and it's going to be passed on. But Satan won't be out there tempting the world and deceiving the nations, and because of that, sin will be way less, and those who die at 100 are going to be considered cursed. But at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released and come back and attack people and deceive people where? So where is the millennial kingdom? It has to be on the earth. Do you see it? It's been there all along. There is a time coming. I never was taught this when I was a kid. We were taught that you die and you go heaven and you be with Jesus. I remember when I first started hearing people talk about thousand years back on the earth, I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just go to heaven. But the more I look at it and the more I understand God has a purpose and a plan to display his glory and his grace and his greatness, I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. Uh, here's the new heaven and the new earth happens after that. Exactly. Yeah, this is a renewed. Exactly. After this, after that time period, he's then going to destroy everything that exists. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth only for those of us who have been given righteousness through Jesus. That's when the new Jerusalem comes down and it's so big it wouldn't even fit hardly on this planet. Do you realize the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation would go beyond the uh, space station many, many times? The space station is only 300 miles away from us, roughly, folks. The new Jerusalem that Revelation shows us is going to be in the new heaven and the new earth, 1,500 miles high. Oh, that's a whole new everything, the eternal state. Oh, by the way, during their eternal state, there's no longer going to be any more sin. There's not going to be any more Satan to deal with and all that stuff. We'll all have new bodies that will be there. And oh, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 65, verse 17, during the new heaven and the new earth, you'll no longer remember all the stuff that happened on the earth. 
all the former things will no longer be remembered nor even come to mind. From that point on, we won't remember. People have for years come up to me and say, I don't know if heaven will be heaven for me if my loved one's not there. Oh, you don't know your Bible. When we get to heaven, heaven, you won't remember the former things. On the millennial kingdom, though, we'll definitely remember because we know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to have the sacrifices still during the millennial kingdom that we've already talked about. We'll be looking at Jesus. Go ahead. I saw a question here. No, no. Did I say Revelation? Isaiah 65, verse 17. If I said Revelation, I appreciate you paying attention. There are not 65 chapters in, in Revelation. It's Isaiah 65. Thank you. Isaiah 65, verse 17. But when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, that's when you won't remember. That's when we're going to be with him. But it's even still then going to be on a planet. It's going to be on a planet. There's going to be trees and rocks and rivers and time. Do you know the Bible actually says there's going to be time in heaven? I thought there was no time in heaven. That's because you believe your hymns instead of your Bible. Oh, death will always be daylight because the Bible says that Jesus will be there and his glory will be there and it won't be any night. Well, I, I don't know if we'll have to sleep or not, but I don't think we will. Here's the cool thing. Doesn't the Bible say that in the book of Revelation, the tree of life is going to be there on the, uh, across the river and it's going to produce its fruit every month? So there's some time measurement of time. Folks, there's so much still to come. Oh, by the way, why do I tell you this? So we'll be smarter and we'll know more than everybody else and we'll win the arguments? No. But hopefully you start to realize that the Bible says that what determines what responsibility and reward you have in the kingdom to come is determined by your faithfulness here on the earth with what he's given you to do. I think Jesus said it this way. In the book of Luke, he said, you've been faithful with much. I'll put you over 10 cities. That's interesting. Why would I be over 10 cities if we just go to heaven? Oh, we're not just going to heaven. We're going to go there for a period while he finishes what he does on the earth. And then we'll come back and be on the earth. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.